Laudator Jesus Christus, praise be Jesus Christ. This is Matt Gaspers, Managing Editor of Catholic Family News, and I'm joined as always by my friend and colleague, Dr. Brian McCall, who is the Editor-in-Chief of CFN. Hello, Brian. I hope you're doing well today. Yes, I am. Uh, getting to the end of the third week of Lent. Yes, it's hard to believe. So yes. we're about, about halfway through right now. Um, yeah, it's been a very busy week on multiple fronts. We've got all kinds of interesting things to discuss today. Uh, our topics this week include a recap of the Pope's recent visit to Iraq, and we're going to have a special emphasis on the interreligious meeting that was held there. Uh, second, we have an, the International Women's Day and its observance at the Vatican. There was a webinar panel discussion that uh, mm -hmm. certainly deserves comment <laughs> to put it mildly. Uh, next, we'll be looking at a new and powerful statement against abortion-tainted vaccines from an international group of women, and this is posted on our website for those who may not have already seen it, and I'll include a link in the uh, show notes for today. And then finally, the latest from Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, which is also available on our website, and this, it's particularly interesting and providential because it's coinciding with the breaking of another story involving the Biden family. I guess not the, the story itself actually broke last fall, but it kind of fell by the wayside and, and has been out of people's minds, but it's coming back to the forefront. We'll explain why when we get to that the final story. Yes. So before we get into all of the news, we'll take a brief look, as we always do, at the church's liturgical calendar and recall the, some of the great men and women of the church, the saints, and, and focus our minds on the things that are above for a few moments, as St. Paul says. So today is Friday, March 12th, 2021, and it's the feast of, of St. Gregory I, who is one of only two popes in the church, uh, church history to be known as the Great. He's had that title bestowed upon him by the church. So he's a pope, confessor, and doctor of the church, and he reigned as the supreme pontiff from the year of our Lord 590 to 604. Um, and he's one of the, one of a great saint in regard to the mass. You know, we love to talk about mm -hmm. the traditional Latin mass at Catholic Family News and defend it. And uh, concerning this saintly pontiff's role in the organic development of the Roman rite, as opposed to the concoction of the new rite, uh, kind of on the spot, as Benedict XVI once said, uh, and uh, what did he say, a banal, banal on, the spot, on the spot, yes, fabrication. Uh, this is a quote from the renowned liturgical scholar, Father Adrian Fortescue, who died in 1923. He was a great scholar of the liturgy, all the, all the different rites in the church. So here's what he said, quote, the reign of St. Gregory the Great marks an epoch in the history of the Mass. He left the Roman liturgy practically in the state in which we still have it. So he's writing again in, I think, yes. in 1912. <laughs> yes. So obviously not referring to the Novus Ordo. There is moreover a constant tradition that St. Gregory was the last to touch the essential part of the Mass, namely the canon. 
From roughly the time of St. Gregory, we have the text of the Mass, its order and arrangement as a sacred tradition that no one ventured to touch except in unimportant details. So I think one important thing to comment on when we talk about the traditional Latin mass, some people say, you know, well, St. Pius V uh, yeah. came up with a new missal in his day, so why can't we do that in ours? Well, they're misunderstanding what the Council of Trent and what St. Pius V did. It was really a, a restoration and codification of the ancient Roman liturgy going back to the days of St. Gregory the Great. Brian has anything else he wants to comment on that? Yeah, well, the way Archbishop Lefebvre used to describe it is that what Pope St. Pius V did was canonize the Mass in, yes. in, in the sense, using that in the sense of uh, taking what had developed and uh, and yes, there were a little bit of adjustment of some some things that it accreted in, not very much, but essentially saying this is the mass of all time. Every priest has a right to do it, and it's essentially free from error. Is is again summarizing, but but really what he was doing, he wasn't creating a new mass. He was putting a, a stamp of seal, a kind of closure on the mass in all of its essentials. Um, and, and, and again, that's why the word he always chose is he, he didn't promulgate a new mass. He canonized the existing mass. Right. Right. Exactly. So a very important saint for Catholic family news and for yes. all traditional Catholics. Yes. So we ask St. Gregory the Great to intercede yes. for all of us. A few other saints commemorated since our last show. It's been a, a great several days of feast days. Uh, we had last uh, last week, Saturday, March 6th, Saints Perpetua and Felicities, two early Roman martyrs, uh, great women of faith. Uh, on Sunday, March 7th, fell the feast of St. Thomas Aquinas. Yes. Uh, obviously, the great angelic doctor uh, who we look to for frequently, regularly at Catholic Family News for wisdom and doctrine and such. Uh, Monday of this week, St. John of God, a religious, uh, St. Francis of Rome, a, a noble lady of Rome and a, a widow who, who joined a, a convent after the death of her husband. And then finally, uh, on March 10th, Wednesday of this week, was the 40 holy martyrs. Hmm. All right. Well, and I, I guess I, I just will end this section with a little look forward to Sunday, because I think it's relevant to, to one of our stories. So this Sunday, as Matt mentioned, Mid-Lent Sunday, it's often called. We're in the middle middle point. But it's also called Laetare Sunday, yes. uh, because we get a note of joy. And what's also important, as in, in and this has a little bit been lost in American traditional circles, but much stronger in Europe. It also has a tradition connected. It's called Mothering Sunday. And there's a connection. Uh, it's, it's kind of where we have our sort of mother Day in May. Uh, in Europe, it's actually Laetare Sunday is when mothers are honored because it's considered Mothering Sunday. Uh, and the tradition throughout much of Europe was you would go to Mass for Laetare Sunday or you would visit the cathedral church, the mother church of your diocese. Yes. Uh, and also there was a tradition of the Pope blessing golden roses and sending it to the queens of Europe, sent a, a blessed golden rose to the queens of Europe uh, as kind of mothers of their people. And right. uh, that developed into the blessing of roses and flowers for uh, all mothers that developed uh, out of that practice. And so it's a real, has a, a strong connection to honoring um, mothers, on honoring women in their role as, as mothers, uh, which said so never, it, it quite got, a little bit got lost in America, but it's still even traditional circles in Europe uh, today still, uh, still, still there. 
Yes, quite a contrast to the so-called International Women's Day. Yes, which yes. Has nothing to do with very little to, do, to with do with mothers. mothers yes. Yeah. So. All right. Well, with that, we'll jump into our first story today, which is the the Pope's trip to Iraq and specifically his interreligious meeting in yes. the plain of Ur, the the birthplace of of Abraham. And the, I think the subtitle to this first story is a is a rhetorical question: Who are the true children of Abraham? So, as we mentioned last week, Pope Francis visited the Muslim majority and war torn nation of Iraq. Uh, he arrived in the country actually last week, Friday. We spoke about it briefly, and he returned to Rome this week, Monday, March eighth. So, at this interreligious meeting in the plain of Ur. Uh, the Vatican Press Office describes it as including, quote, readings from the book of Genesis and from the Quran, which happened at the beginning of the meeting. So right there, you have a major yeah. problem of reading from a blasphemous book. Yes. And it was followed by testimonies from various participants and then an address by Pope Francis. And his address focused on Abraham and his connection to those gathered at the event. One side note I wanted to mention is that it's it was billed as featuring, you know, the three quote-unquote Abrahamic religions or faiths, mm -hmm. but I don't remember hearing anything about uh, Jewish participants. It seemed to be pretty much, you know, Catholics and Muslims and some other kind of strange outlying minority groups. So Yeah, because if you, if you look at the pictures I have, I mean, I can't identify anyone there as being a Jewish rabbi just from the the look of them, obviously, it doesn't right. seem to be. Right, exactly. So here, we're just going to go through a few quotes. I mean, there's so many things, so many um, <laughs> things wrong with this address, but we, uh, we don't have time to go through all of them. We'll just highlight a few things. So here's the first quote, which is from the beginning of the Pope's address. This blessed place brings us back to our origins. So remember, we're talking about a pagan, they're at the site of a pagan temple in Ur. Mm -hmm the big ziggurat. This blessed place bling, brings us back to our origins, to the sources of God's work, to the birth of our religions. Um, Christianity was not born in Ur of the Chaldeans. <laughs> the word did not become incarnate there, first of all. So the Pope goes on, here where Abraham our father lived, we seem to have returned home. Today, we, Jews, Christians, and Muslims, together with our brothers and sisters of other religion, honor our father Abraham but do, by doing as he did. And this is what the Pope says Abraham did. We, we look up to heaven. That's what we talked about last week where Francis is talking about looking up to the stars. And then he says, we journey on earth. Mm. Uh, the next quote I wanted to read is this one, from this place where faith was born from the land of our father Abraham, let us affirm that God is merciful and that the greatest blasphemy is to profane his name by hating our brothers and sisters. Well, that's blasphemy is a sin against God, not a sin against our neighbor, right? It's, it's speaking against God in a contemptuous manner. Um, so, I don't, I don't see where he's getting this notion that the greatest blasphemy is to profane his name by hating our brothers and sisters. Obviously, we don't want to hate anyone, but that's really not the sin of blasphemy. He goes on to say, hostility, extremism, and violence are not born of a religious heart. 
They are betrayals of religion. We believers cannot be silent when terrorism abuses religion. And this is a theme that he's repeated, uh, a false claim rather, that he's repeated throughout his pontificate that true religion is never violent. Um, and, you know, I, I just often wonder if the Pope has ever actually read the Quran. Like, for example, in uh, in his first major document written on his own, Evangelii Gaudium, he makes that claim about true followers of Islam and a proper reading of the Quran, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, uh, have nothing to do with violence. And yet the Quran itself actually has a verse in it that says, I will instill terror into the hearts of the unbelievers. So talk about terrorism. I mean, it's right there in the text. This is Allah um, speaking to Muslims. And then he instructs them, smite them above their necks, meaning decapitate non-Muslims and smite all their fingertips off them. So I, I, I don't, just don't understand where Pope Francis gets the idea that Islam, that true Islam is not violent. It's simply contradiction of the text, the sacred text of Islam, and also the history of that religion. Mm. Um, so then he goes on to say later in his address, may we, the descendants of Abraham and the re representatives of different religions, sense that above all, we have this role mm. to help our brothers and sisters to raise their eyes and prayers to heaven. In today's world, which often forgets or presents distorted images of the Most High, precisely what Islam does, presents a distorted image of God, believers are called to bear witness to his goodness, to show his paternity throughout through our fraternity. And again, to be clear, at the most fundamental level, the distortion Matt's talking about is that God is a trinity. That, and yes. Islam says that's blasphemous, that God is, right. they specifically deny the, the Trinitarian nature of God. Uh, so uh, again, we're not talking about small details here, the most fundamental theological point about the nature of God. Absolutely. Right. And specifically, Islam vehemently rejects the notion that God is father in any way whatsoever, even in relation to his creatures, like metaphorically, they think it's blasphemous to call him yes. God, call him father. So how in the world can we, you know, how can Muslims show the paternity of God through our fraternity with each right. other? It just it makes no it sense. Yes. So the, this interfaith ceremony ended with a so-called prayer of the children of Abraham. I don't know who composed the prayer. I'm yeah. presuming that Francis or one of his surrogates uh, mm -hmm. uh, composed it. And the text includes the following line in the prayer. It says, as children of Abraham, Jews, Christians, and Muslims, together with other believers and all persons of goodwill, we thank you, speaking to God, for having given us Abraham, a distinguished son of this noble and beloved country, meaning Iraq, to be our common father in faith, end quote. So he's making out Abraham to be the father in faith of literally everyone on planet earth basically which is just absurd yes. but I want to focus specifically on the question you know who are the true children of Abraham and specifically are Jews true children of Abraham so I want to take a look at a couple of scripture verses to help us understand this 
this is something, this is a question that our Lord actually directly addressed on one occasion. Uh, it's in, found in John chapter 8 when he's disputing with the, the Jews who are rejecting him as the Messiah. And they're essentially saying, well, who are you to talk to us? Ab we have Abraham for our father. And this is what our Lord told them. If you be the children of Abraham, do the works of Abraham. And Jesus didn't say, our Lord didn't say that the works of Abraham were to look up to heaven and to journey on earth. He's, mm. he's talking about believing in him, the promised Messiah. That is the work of Abraham. He goes on to say in John 8, uh, 56, and then verse 58, Abraham, your father, rejoiced that he might see my day. He saw it and was glad. Amen, amen, I say to you, before Abraham was made, I am. So using the divine name to, to proclaim his divinity. Which caused them to want to stone him. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And he also said when the Jews he was disputing with said, um, you know, God is our father. What did our Lord say? Your father is the devil. devil. If, you, if you don't believe in me, uh, then your father is not God. Yes. So St. Paul also, you know, the great apostle to the Gentiles who was a Pharisee of Pharisees and had the radical conversion on the road to Damascus, he had this to say in his, has this to say in his epistle to the Galatians in chapter three, they who are of faith, meaning faith in Christ, the same are the children of Abraham. So not just anybody, it's not a matter of um, genealogical relationship or just kind of a vague, well, he's the father of everyone who believes in God somehow. No, he's the spiritual father of those who believe in the promised Messiah. St. Paul says, therefore, they that are of faith shall be blessed with faithful Abraham, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, not through any of the other prophets, not through Muhammad, not through pagan idols, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, this is the problem, uh, one of the problems with Vatican II that has been identified is the blurring of the natural and the supernatural, the loss of distinction, right? So as, um, you know, we, we, we've talked about in other contexts, God is the father of all people on the natural level because he is the creator of all people on the natural right. level. But God is only the father in terms of, a, of on the supernatural level of those who have become adopted sons and heirs also, as St. Paul tells us, through baptism, right? So on the supernatural level, only those who are uh, in, who have come within the church are God's children. Uh, and the others, as St. Paul tells us, are essentially slaves of the devil. Likewise with Abraham, right? On the natural genetic level, right? Anyone who's, whose genetic ancestry traces to Abraham on the natural level has a natural, uh, as a natural child of Abraham. But St. Paul and our Lord here speak on the supernatural level that, okay, you are children of Abraham on the natural level, but to become a child of Abraham on the supernatural level is open to all. And that is, uh, you know, when uh, St. Paul and our Lord has I've come, I, I, I have other other people that I must uh, bring in and St. Paul referring to the Gentiles, right. that they are all now in the new dispensation, the sons of Abraham, the children of Abraham on the supernatural level. So it's a loss, this conflating of the natural and the supernatural right. is at the root of this error. 
and the emphasis, I think the danger of the emphasis of saying that everyone is a child of Abraham, Jews, Muslims, Christians, that, that gives them false hope that that somehow is going to help them in regard to their salvation. Yes. And, it's, and that's not true. Uh, being yes. a natural child of Abraham or a natural child of God in the, as far as being a creature of God, um, yeah, that's all well and good, but it's not going to save your soul. <laughs> and that's that's yes. what's not being emphasized. Yes. So interestingly, during the flight back to Rome uh, on Monday of this week, a journalist brought up the infamous document on human fraternity uh, signed in uh, February of 2019 mm -hmm. with the Grand Imam, the representative of Sunni Islam. When the Pope was in Iraq uh, just now, he met with one of the primary leaders of Shiite Islam, another branch of that religion. And so this uh, just journalist brought up as follows, quote, this is something important, human fraternity, how as men and women, we are all brothers and sisters, and we need to make progress with the other religions. I'm not sure what kind of progress he means. <laughs> He goes on to say, you know that there are criticisms in this regard. So he's acknowledging that he's been greatly criticized for his document on human fraternity. And to whom he must be referring is Archbishop Vigano and, and Bishop Athanasius Snyder, clearly. Yes, yes. definitely. He goes on that, uh, so he says, criticisms in this regard that the Pope is not courageous, he is reckless, acting against Catholic doctrine, that he is one step from heresy. So it's interesting that he acknowledges all of these things. He says, there are risks, but these decisions are always made in prayer, in dialogue, asking advice from whom I'd like to know, yes. and in reflection. They are not a whim, and they follow in, line, in the line of what the council, referring to Vatican II, taught. And on that point, we can definitely we agree. agree. <laughs> yes. yeah, these are not a whim. Yeah, we agree. Because this is what this is what Nostra taught. Before we move on to our next story, yes. this is what the the Declaration on the Relationship of the Church to Non-Christian Religions says. "Quote: The Catholic Church rejects nothing that is true and holy in these religions, referring, for example, to Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, etc. She regards with sincere reverence those ways of conduct and of life, those precepts and teachings." which, though differing in many aspects from the ones she holds and sets forth, yeah. gee, that sounds like Fratelli Tutti to me. For others, they go to their sources, but for us, we go to Jesus. The document finally says, nonetheless, often reflect a ray of that truth which enlightens all men. Mm -hmm. Nostra Aetate also calls Catholics to engage in, quote, dialogue and collaboration with the followers of other religions, end quote. So, it's no surprise that we end up with the document on human fraternity as a result of the, the council's yes. teaching on this. Yes. Well, it's interesting. We're going to pick up a, a similar theme in our next story. Uh, and uh, that is the theme we've reported on before, particularly when we talked about this new uh, installation of, of uh, lectors and acolytes by Pope Francis a few months ago. Uh, and that is in the uh, ambiguity and distortion in Lumen Gentium, a document of the Second Vatican Council, about the, quote, people of God as a category that blurs the distinction between the hierarchical relationship between the clergy and the laity. And that 
overemphasizes to a point of error the quote common baptism of the laity uh, that leads to a common priesthood of the laity. So a, a blurring of the distinction between uh, the passive and active priesthood and an implication that sort of everybody's really a priest and the people that do the job just kind of get picked out because we need to have, in the Protestant sense, kind of a first among equals, a presider. Um, and so that is really, in many senses, what uh, the theme of this, this next story. So what this story is about is a Vatican panel discussion done through a webinar hosted by uh, Chiaro Porro, the Australian ambassador to the Holy See. And this panel discussion was in honor of the International Women's Day. Uh, and so before getting into that, some viewers may say, what's that? I've never heard of that. Uh, well, it is uh, something that goes back a long history, over 100 years, to 1913, when March 8th has been observed uh, as this International Women's Day, which according to their website, they have their own website, is a, quote, global day celebrating the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women. And also deriding the the any notion of patriarchy, like yes. um, is, patriarchy is evil. They basically say yes. on the website. So it's interesting. A lot of these things that that sounds at first blush, okay, celebrating. Well, what's wrong with celebrating? women. Well, it has an interesting history. So this IWD's history really originates in a National Women's Day. And this again comes from their own website, the International yes. Women's Day website. They claim, quote, in accordance with a declaration by the Socialist Party of America, the first National Women's Day uh, was observed across the United States on February 28th, 1903. Women continued to celebrate National Women's Day on the last Sunday of February until 1913 when it was turned into this international. So where is the origin of this day? It is in socialism. The Socialist Party of America created this thing. And so yes. it just from its, you know, it's from its origin, uh, we see it is connected to the socialist agenda, which one of those errors of Russia is the destruction of the natural family and a particularly an attack on women and the role of women within the family. We know is one of the errors of Russia uh, yes. that Our Lady referred to in 1917. And surprise, surprise, uh, International Women's Day demonstrations played a significant role in uh, bringing about the February and October revolutions in Russia that led to the establishment of Soviet. Uh, as again, there's, there's a sort of a phase of the, of the Russian revolution happened in two phases in February and then October when the final uh, <coughs> communist uh, took over finally. Um, and uh, again, the, these International Women's Days uh, were closely associated with international communism and were involved in this um, uh, the, the Russian Revolution. So this, again, in its history, has a deep-seated connection to international communism. Right. So the, first of all, before we get into anything else, why is the Catholic Church participating in celebrating <laughs> as something exactly. that has is an origin in communism? Exactly. So this 2021 observation uh, was based on the theme, quote, choose to challenge. And just even with that title, you can see the Marxist uh, orientation here, right? Yes. Marxist orientation to challenge, to tear down. Uh, and, and that was their, their theme. So who spoke of this? Uh, quite a number of people. Cardinal Mario Grech, who is the general secretary of the Synod of Bishops. 
who in 2017, uh, our viewers may remember and our readers, referred to those, again, Bishop Schneider, others, who opposed, quote, communion to be given to public adulterers as, quote, prophets of doom, uh, which the is a phrase, phrase of John the 23rd. Yep. Yes, from the time of the council. Um, so, but we're not really going to focus on, on his speech. We're going to focus on the speech of, uh, or the presentation of Sister Natalie Baker. Bequar, Bequar, I, I think it's pronounced. Yeah, she's French. Yeah. She's French, Bequar, who recently we reported has been appointed by Pope Francis as the first woman to be the undersecretary of the Synod of Bishops. So she kind of is an oxymoron. Yes. <laughs> a she woman is, on the Synod of Bishops. Yes. And uh, not just there on this, I mean, a high position uh, right. in the Synod of uh, Bishops. So she um, gave a, a presentation with a PowerPoint. And this uh, is a, a uh, so on the side, you can see the webinar. These are the people participating. Yes. Um, and uh, she is he uh, the what is that third second person third window from from the top. Uh, again, she is we're told a nun. Yes, um, <laughs> when again, you know it. Plain clothes nun, undercover nun. Um, and um, here you see this was one of her first slides in her slide presentation, uh, and this is a picture from the infamous Amazon Synod, yes. uh, surrounded by so these Amazonian women. Uh, is her her, uh, her presentation here. Yes. So I just want to read you a, a little bit, uh, some of the things that this Sister Bequar, uh, who is, again, the first woman ever appointed this, has, has uh, said. Synodality, this is a quote, is also about bringing all the voices of the people of God. Um, and and uh, uh, here we see synodality is going to be a real focus because the next nightmare installation of these synods under Francis comes next year in 2022, which is a synod on synods, <laughs> the synod of bishops on synodality. Um, she went on uh, um, to say uh, in her remarks, co-responsibility is truly the key to this time of crisis in society and in the church, not only the crisis of sex abuse and abuses of power, but also the crisis with COVID and difficulties in different countries with political crisis, the economic crisis. So uh, uh, again, it's sort of all the problems in the world are because of men is what's going on here. Uh, and synodality, listening to all these voices and co-responsibility. Uh, so what, what they're essentially saying is they want a complete dis destruction of the hierarchical structure of the church and blaming that hierarchical structure of the church for everything, right? for everything from COVID, from the Chinese virus to uh, to the the abuse cases uh, that have been, you know, that ha that have emerged. Now I know it's interesting this co-responsibility, although Pope Francis is adamantly opposed to the term co-redemptrix to be applied to Our Lady uh, and has mocked that theological term. So I kind of find that interesting. Good, yes, but, good point. Uh, but uh, it does, doesn't want that. But this vague co. Uh, responsibility. Uh, and she says, when it comes to the concept of synodality, meaning collaboration at all layers, levels of the church, uh, she said, the key to living this effectively is mutual respect and interdependence between men and women, right? Uh, it's, quote, it's about teamwork, 
right? It's not easy to build a true equal and good relationship between men and women. It's mm -hmm. a path of healing and reconciliation as a personal path, but also a familiar path for the church and for uh, society. Well, familiar, too familiar, unfortunately, since the Second Vatican Council, when the church has sort of blamed, you know, said, the church is responsible for every evil in history and right. you know asked forgiveness uh, uh, for it. And she looks for an equal future in a COVID-19 world. Okay, what that, uh, what COVID-19 world, what's that? This is a, a sickness that should be going away, right? right. Um, and, and, and again, what we see here is the sort of two levels. One, this total distinction uh, uh, between uh, uh, the fact that the church was established by Christ as a hierarchy and that there are distinct roles in that hierarchy between clerics who can only be men and women and all the laity uh, who have a, a different role. And really the rest of her whole um, uh, speech is an attack, right, on things like systematically excluding women from active church participation and then uh, praising uh, Francis saying that women should be in, in, put in highest levels of authority uh, in, in the church, uh, which again are levels of authority tied to a clerical position, tied to the moon, moonness, the, the gifts, the gifts, uh, essentially the three gifts of teaching, sanctifying, and governing, which were entrusted to the ordained uh, uh, clergy. So uh, again, this is this problem of not seeing the distinction between laity and clergy, which then bleeds into a complete distortion of the distinctions between men and women, right? That men and women have uh, different roles and are equal in human nature. They have the same human nature, but God has called them to different roles within the family, within the church. Um, and uh, it's, it's kind of interesting, right? There's this leveling of like, everything has to be equal, synodality, everybody has to talk to everybody, nobody's in charge. But then there's this hierarchy, oh, but we want women in the hierarchy positions, right? So it's kind of this schizophrenia attack on the church's hierarchy. It should be leveled and there should be nobody in charge of anybody else, but then a sort of acknowledgement that that's not going to have, not possible. And then, oh, we want, we, what we just want to do is put women at the top, right? And, and Sounds kind of like communism. They, exactly. They, they preach egalitarianism, but there's always an elite group at the top uh, ordering everyone else around. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ex exactly. Uh, and again, these are the errors that we have been, um, you know, uh, talking about that uh, have been, uh, that were clearly advanced uh, in this um, this webinar. For, <laughs> that, and at, uh, at the end of which, which, during the, the Q&A, they bring up the canard of clericalism. Yes. So, and that's where we're going to play, uh, again, I've been reading you some quotes uh, from this. But what we want to do is play a, a clip from the Q&A session that occurred at the very end. And there are uh, uh, two responses uh, in this uh, Q&A. The first that you will hear is from the, the Cardinal, uh, uh, and whose, whose speech, again, we didn't really focus on, but uh, uh, as much since we fo focused on this uh, sister. And then... Uh, Just so people understand, this Cardinal is her immediate superior on yeah. the Senate of Bishops. So they, yes. Yeah. So they probably wouldn't like that superior term, but yes, her, her <laughs> superior. Um, so first we're going to hear uh, his, his comment and then uh, maybe talk about briefly for a few minutes. And then we will um, 
uh, listen to sisters. So. And the, just so people understand, the question that was asked specifically was, can you explain, refer, asking Cardinal Grish and Sister Becois, can you explain how synodality is an antidote for clericalism? And this is yes. how they responded to that question. When we speak about that has been already uh, underlined is made by all the baptized men and women. And so we all have uh, the right and duty to participate in this process, which is a process that helps the church to, to learn what the Holy Spirit is telling us today. And uh, in this process, all the baptized have a contribution to make. So again, let's just pause there. And here's this, this error. Again, this all the church is made up of all the baptized. True statement, right? If you and yes. should remind them in their little things and or that those who are not baptized, therefore, are not part of the church, right? right. Yeah. But uh, and then here, now a synod is an exercise of one of the munis, the one of the gifts that are given to the ordained priesthood, that of governing right? Governing the church, right? Synods, again, there have been synods in the history of the church. They're usually local, pre, uh, pro, uh, provincial kind of areas of the church get together to have to make decisions on governing the church. So again, here's where the error comes in. Not all the baptized have a, quote, right to participate in this process. This is right. a process of governing the church to which only those who have been given the gift of governance by being ordained priests have that share and that that uh, participation. And it's also not a source of divine revelation. He repeats yes. the same thing that Francis talks about it being basically like an oracle of the Holy Ghost or something. Exactly. The Holy Ghost speaks through the hierarchy of the church. Right, this whole again, this is a Protestant idea that uh, the God speaks directly to the believer, and the believer receives direct revelation from God. And each that's why you have individual interpretation of Scripture. Right, each person does. Own. This is an error condemned by the Council of Trent that it comes that God entrusted the keys to the hierarchy of the church. He didn't say what all the baptized bound and loose on earth is bound and loose. He said you, referring to the first. Uh, bishops, the, the apostles. So again, these are all the background errors of Vatican II, these distortions uh, that, are, that are, are making their way uh, through his response. Now, the way how this contribution is carried out is something to be studied and reflected upon. Now, and again, another error, no. It's just not, not something he's like, well, the church after 2,000 years doesn't know how to do this, and we need to study it. <laughs> no, the church has 2,000 years of experience to, in knowing how to do this. Yes. Uh, thank you. Yes, I think, and in the light also of uh, other inputs, that uh, we can figure out what is uh, getting rid out of uh, clerical church or synodal church. It's about... Uh, changing the mindset from competition to cooperation uh, and to have a kind of systemic dynamic view of the church with this idea of circularity, reciprocity, and no longer the idea that you have one category above and others, uh, you know. So oh, it's being go. all protagonists at all levels and yeah. uh, is uh, 
all kind of position to be in this circularity and cooperation. And one of the key issues, of course, is the, the leadership, how to be in a servant leadership that is a collaborative leadership to liberate the liberty, as the, the, the Synodon you uh, uh, stated about what is true accompaniment, true leadership, the exercise of authority is to empower and to liberate the liberty uh, for the common good. Again, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of errors there. What does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, so lots of errors there. Number one, as we said, this is the attack on the hierarchical nature of the church. The church is hierarchical by divine constitution. But what she's saying is we need to change the constitution of the church to make it circularity, to yeah. make it a circle rather than a pyramid. To use right. It. Notice that she opposes the the so-called clerical church to the synodal church. Yes, yes, she's, exactly. And now again, if you want to know what this means, look at Germany. Our reporting on the, quote, synodal path in Germany, which yeah. is a, I, you can't even use the word synod because it's not a synod, it's this thing that took the word synod, where they have half of the participants are clerics, half are laity, and it's this literally circular thing that is proposing grave deviations from the faith. And that's what she's looking forward to. I mean, essentially that I think is her model. Uh, but again, it's this attack on the hierarchical nature of the church, which again, notice ironically, they, she said not one above the other. Well, that is the hierarchy of the church. That's what a hierarchy is, is there are. Exactly. And, and, and part of the abuse problem and the clericalism has been a, an abandonment of the roles, right? An abandonment of the roles of what you're supposed to do. Right, the the one above is supposed to deal with these problems of abuse and and exercise their authority to govern personally, the not personally uh, not committed to a committee or something. committee exactly, and that personal responsibility has been abandoned. Uh, but this is this is an attack on the divine constitution of the church, and then as Matt pointed out, her second error, right, is this this again French Revolution revolutionary idea about the li liberating liberty. Well, no, uh, authority is not about creating liberty. I mean, this is sort of a contradiction in terms. It's in this in the false sense of the revolutionary sense of license, right? That authority right. is supposed to let people do whatever they want. No, the true liberty, as St. Paul tells us, where we are truly free is when we are sub subject to authority and to law. So what are we free is when we are morally free, when we are free, when we are subordinated to, when all of our actions are in conformity with, with law with divine natural law, the eternal law, ultimately, that that is where our true freedom lies, not mm -hmm. in authority, just sort of letting everybody come and say whatever they want to say, as is happening in, in Germany. So again, an attack on the true, uh, fundamentally an attack, uh, a, a demonic, right, attack, because what is, what did, what did, uh, the devil, I will not serve. I reject yeah. hierarchy. As the poet Milton says in his famous English poem, you know, Paradise Lost, it is better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Um, uh, and that is the error, right, of this circularity. It's better that we all be little petty kings and queens uh, than to actually be subject to the authority of God. And that's, again, the error coming through in her, in her answer here. So this isn't, and, and it's, none of this is surprising, right? This is a socialist, communist uh, event that has been used like that for over 100 years. And so it's not a surprise that we hear Marxist attacks uh, on the nature of authority, on the nature of the church, on the nature of, of men and women uh, coming from, you know, from these uh, panel uh participants here and and again notice the synods have been the uh vehicle that we know francis has used yes. for advancing uh uh 
uh, his uh, agenda, his agenda. And uh, just real briefly, in her presentation, uh, there are several quotations from the document of the Synod of Bishops on young people, faith, and vocational discernment that comes throughout her her presentation. Yes. Uh, you know, again, here just a few examples. The Bible presents men and women as partners, equal in God's sight. Right. All dominion and discrimination based on sex is thus an offense against human dignity. The Bible also presents the differences between the sexes as a mystery constituted of our humanity, one that cannot be reduced to stereotypes. The relation between men and women is understood in terms of a vocation to live together in reciprocity and dialogue, in communion and fruitfulness. In every area of human experience, living as a couple, work, education, and so forth, God has entrusted the earth to the covenant of man and women. Again, this is her quote that she brings from this, this document. And again, all this uh, ambiguity here. Well, there is, this isn't a mystery. God, in Genesis that they refer to, <laughs> that's the book of Genesis, God makes very clear. He says that you shall be subject to your husband. He makes clear the relationship between the husband and the wife uh, in his decree to Adam and Eve uh, in Genesis 3. So again, it's not some mystery that we're trying to figure out. Uh, God has re revealed this to us. Um, right. and, and again, it's now trying to blur, and we don't know what this means, and this is all. Uh, and equating that re truth revealed by God with, quote, stereotypes, right? right. That, that, that is the, the attack. So again, all, my only point, I don't have time to go through all this, is she is using extensively uh, these, these quotations from this earlier synod that, that in relative to all the synods didn't get as much quite of attention as, as the other two. Uh, but this is the vehicle that, that is used uh, to uh, clearly to advance yeah. Francis's agenda to re remake uh, the church. So last little quick follow up on this story that, uh, you know, again, that the uh, uh, Francis is trying, as he told us in Gaudium and Stens, to completely tr transform the church and the nature of the church in the ways that the Sister Becarle is uh, telling us uh, that, that she's praising. And uh, yet, as another example of this, we have yet another uh, plain clothes uh, nun here. Undercover nun. Yeah. Undercover <laughs> nun, yes. Uh, uh, Sister Noria Calduc Banages, uh, who has now been appointed uh, uh, to the biblical commission as the, uh, as you can see here, uh, secretary of the biblical commission. So a very prominent position. Very I mean, prominent. This, this commission falls under the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. It's, Advises the Congregation yeah. of the Doctrine of the Faith. So again, this is the munis of teaching, of clarifying the doctrine of the church, and that is entrusted to the, the ordained priesthood. So again, I, I, I don't know how many degrees this woman has, whatever she has. That, that's not the point. The faith is not something about kind of academic credentials, right? It's not about that. It's, that's a natural reason level. It's about faith revealed by God and having that faith perfect reason, right? But but again, here yet another anomaly, another example of advancing this uh, this mission to re remake the church in this. And the irony, I think you were going to mention that the yeah. whole reason the Pontifical Pontific Biblical yes. Commission was established was to fight modernism. Exactly, to fight, to fight modernism. So one can only imagine, was it Leo the Thirteenth or St. Pius the Tenth who founded the Biblical Commission? I can't recall. Uh, 
I one thought of those two. It, yeah, I thought it was Leo the Thirteenth, but I believe uh, it was. Yeah. So but we I can think, only imagine what yes. they would think, seeing that there's now a woman, a, yes, a so-called say, nun out of habit, who's the secretary of their commission. <laughs> yes, one can only imagine what they would say. So our next story is quite a stark contrast. It also involves uh, women and women who are interested in being uh, subject to the authority of God and his plan for for mankind. And it's really a beautiful story, a story of courage. You know, some of the greatest saints in church history, obviously the greatest saint of all is, is Our Lady. Yes. Um, who, these, who didn't need to get appointed undersecretary of the apostles. Right? Exactly. <laughs> for, exactly her, right. for her dignity. Yes. Exactly right. So this week, as we posted on our website, a new and uh, powerful statement uh, opposing abortion tainted vaccines has come out. And I'm just going to read it. There's a, a press release that was issued in conjunction with the statement itself. So just to give a little background, I'll read a little bit from the press release. It says, an international group of nearly 100 women doctors, consecrated religious, and pro-life leaders have issued a bold appeal to Christians and all people of goodwill to cease morally justifying the use of abortion-tainted vaccines saying that failure to stand up against them is fueling an expanding culture of death involving the trafficking and exploitation of aborted babies babies excuse me for medical experimentation and so it's signed by a total of 86 women from 25 different countries around the world all the signatories are listed at the bottom of the statement uh, one of them will be very familiar to our viewers, Abby Johnson, who the press release says a U.S. anti-abortion activist who worked as a clinic director for Planned Parenthood until 2009. And her, her memoir was made into the, the movie Unplanned, which we highly recommend people go see for her background. We also, Brian also did a, an excellent interview with her that's available on our uh, website, our YouTube channel, and, and Rumble. So specifically regarding um, the morality of using abortion-tainted vaccines, this is what the statement itself says, so not the press release, but the actual statement, quote, some will claim that this evil lies behind us in decades past, while others argue that using an abortion-tainted vaccine is morally licit because the cooperation in evil is, quote, remote. But do these positions reflect reflect the true breadth and gravity of the situation, question mark. The evil of using aborted fetal cell lines involves not just the original murder, but the ongoing commercialization of the child's body, as well as the ultimate refusal to bury his desecrated remains. Moreover, the use of aborted fetal tissue in developing medical interventions most certainly does and always will fuel the search for new aborted fetal tissue. And they make a point of observing in their statement that these cell lines don't last forever. Uh, that's kind of a, a myth that floats yes. around that they do eventually, you know, die out and, and they need new, new specimen, basically. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I think this is a good opportunity, especially when COVID-19 vaccines especially are ramping up. We need to review very briefly the definition of remote material cooperation and how such cooperation is only licit 
if all four conditions of what's called the principle of double effect are satisfied. I don't know if Ryan wants to take us through that real quick, just as a review. Yes, and again, I, I think uh, some viewers may be uh, familiar with this as we've talked about it before. But so first, uh, the act must be good or at least indifferent. So it must be a positively good act or one that's just morally neutral, right? Um, the evil must not be intended. So you must not say, I want to get this vaccine because I want to encourage the use of aborted children, right? That would be an, an, the intending the evil. Uh, the evil, uh, excuse me, the, the good must not be obtained by means of the evil, right? So you have to not get the good by just using the evil as means, just justifying it uh, that way. And then this is really the one that's most important. There must be a sufficient proportion, right? So between the unintended evil effect, the unintended evil, the abortion, and the good that's being achieved, there must be proportionality. So in other words, you can't have a horrible evil to just get a, you know, a small positive good, right? right. Now, the pro this is really where, I'm gonna ignore the other three for a moment. This is where the problem really arises because I don't think there is any moral ethicist who can give any definitive advice, putting aside any other issue on this because these are experimental drugs with very little history, and therefore, no one can really say what are the, to measure the proportionality, right? Because to measure proportionality, you have to have clarity of facts, right? To be able to say, this is the good, this is the evil. Well, something that is experimental, that has, according to the uh, CDC's own publicly available data, has killed a thousand people in the first two months of its administration. Same mention in their state. Same mention. Yes. And again, that... Th what I'm saying is these people who are saying there's absolutely case closed, no moral problem, and in fact, you're obligated to get it. There is no way that any person applying this test can do that because we have a black hole of information on the one side, right? Uh, it's not even been formally approved. It's being used, these vaccines, in an emergency use, uh, which means that they're not really fully approved. And, and again, I'm uh, giving the best interpretation of the facts. They're just too speculative to be able to do a proportionality, to, to be able to say, oh, this is clearly proportional. Um, now, there's another angle on this, and I, I, there, uh, another uh, uh, very important pro-life woman, uh, uh, Dr. Janet Smith, has had written an article I read last week, which is actually approaches it from a slightly different angle. She says, uh, and it, it, it's, it, it's similar analysis, but she says this whole uh, remote cooperation with evil is not actually the right principle. Because she said, we usually use that when the evil thing will happen after what we do, right? So can yeah. we can we do this and then that'll bring about this evil as opposed to like the evil already happened, the abortion happened. That's true, um, yeah. What she says is this is more of like the analysis of the the use of tainted fruits, right? So So to what extent morally can I benefit from the fruits of an, a great evil? Right. So again, simple example, somebody robs a bank and they're going to say, I robbed a bank. Uh, I want to give you father so-and-so uh, that money that I robbed from the bank is a donation to your, you know, to your church, which would be a good, right. To maybe build a new church. But again, it's very similar analysis, but, but there she would say, well, no, we'd say, you can't do that you, because that you, you have to go return that money to the people you stole it from. You can't make use of these evil uh, uh, this this sort of e ill-gotten gain, this ill-gotten right. gain. And that's the way she sort of approaches it. Now, again, she we may disagree with her conclusion. Her conclusion is very tentative, like I said. It's, again, saying 
we just can't really evaluate the because again you do come to a proportionality again there as well and is there a, is there a way to undo the injustice etc but she just again says these definitive statements we just don't have the the information yet uh to 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 say that and uh we know but what we do know is that this did come from abortion and and abortion was used to test or develop them without any option presently and again this it's it's reported there will be uh supposedly a vaccine available by the end of the year that has no connection uh whatsoever but uh that that is certainly not available now and the other thing regarding proportionality that's something they mentioned these ladies mentioned in their statement um they list five facts that that they believe should be taken into account specifically in regard to the COVID vaccines currently available. And number three on the list says, quote, the average survival rate from COVID-19 infection is higher than 98.3%. Yes. So it's it's not like we're stacking up bodies in the street on a daily basis, like this is yes. the Black Plague or something. And again, that's not to anyone who's had a family member die. That's not to, to minimize that. But again, right. if you're talking about proportionality, so what is the good of this vaccine, even on those numbers? Well, it is... Uh, again, it's not like to say 50% of the population is the good. It is this, again, very small amount of death that has occurred, which has been dropping uh, in terms of a percentage a lot. And, and, and that's I should just mention a fact. that 98% is not people who have been vaccinated, but people who have not, not been, been vaccinated. vaccinated. Yes, yes exactly. Just to clarify. And again, I think the very bottom line on all this is anyone that says you're morally obligated uh, again, maybe there's a discussion about, about some other vaccine that's been around for 30 years that we know all more facts about, right? With this, at least at the, for the next period of years, there is just no way anyone can give you definitive facts. And anyone who says to you, we know this vaccine is completely effective, completely safe, has no side effects. Again, that can be their opinion, but there is just not enough data or time to support that as fact. And without that fact, there's no way you can tell someone you're morally obligated. And I do want to just quote briefly from their conclusion, because yes. they do, again, put this in a higher level of thinking about it, right? And you can think the early church, you might have, and there were people out there like this, hey, come on, dropping a little incense to a false god, that's small compared to being executed and saving your life, right? And and there are those who tried to argue, right, that, that you know, being prudent and just, just, just comply, uh, and and, and what do mental did, reservation, do mental like, reservation. I don't agree, with this, I don't agree yeah. with this, but, but what do these these women, these doctors, and other uh, women say? They say, "quote The hour has come for us to imitate the early Christians in their willingness to lay down their lives for the truth. We will not be complicit. It is time to stand up." Talking about choosing to challenge. That's, yes. that's yeah, a choosing, real challenge. Exactly. <laughs> that's a real challenge. Yes, exactly. Yes. To challenge this globalist. Uh, In the spirit uh, of Saints Perpetua and Felicity, who challenged that very thing about burning incense to idols and such. Yes, exactly. Uh, and very similar to the statement we published uh, several months ago from uh, several bishops and uh, a cardinal who uh, reached a very similar conclusion, saying, look, putting aside all this analysis, the time has come to stand up uh, because of this, this, this genocide of abortion uh, must be we must, we can't just talk about this so, so easily that the time to stand up has come. Yes. 
So speaking of which, we have our final very brief uh, account. This because you can read it all on our website. Uh, another interview given by uh, Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano uh, the, uh, this week, which we published, um, that explores the interplay between COVID-19, the Great Reset, the Deep State, and uh, the Deep Church. And you can again see it here on our our website. And he really develops in a little more detail many of the themes of the, the interventions we have published uh, in the past. Uh, and uh, many of our viewers we know have read the deep church, their connection to the deep state, that there's a, a plan that is being implemented uh, out there and that all of these different uh, things are, are connected. Um, and this overlap between the deep state and the deep church that happens on, on several uh, uh, fronts. So here's what he says, quote, the overlap between the deep state and the deep church takes place on several fronts. The first is undoubtedly at the ideological level, the revolutionary anti-Catholic and essentially Masonic matrix of globalist thought is the same and not just since 2013. Pause. Francis is not the root of this problem at all. Correct. And back to the quote. The second front lies in the internal dynamics of the deep state and the deep church. Both of them count among their members people who are deviant, not only intellectually and spiritually, but also morally. The sexual and financial scandals that have involved very high members of both politics and institutions, and also of the Catholic hierarchy, demonstrate that the corruption and vice are on the one hand, an element that unites them, and on the other hand, an effective deterrent by reason of the common blackmail to which all of them are subjected. Their perversions of noted politicians and prelates force them to obey the globalist agenda, even when their collaboration appears unreasonable, reckless, or contrary to the interests of citizens and the faithful. Sounds this very is, familiar to what we're going through in our country right now. Right now, yes. This is why there are rulers who at the orders of the elite destroy the economy and the social fabric of their nation. This is why spectacularly there are cardinals and bishops who propagate gender theory and false ecumenism. See our first two stories. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thereby giving scandal to Catholics. Both of them are carrying out the interests of their master, right? And we've uh, betraying their mission of service to the nation or the church. Right. So again, here he really is hitting, you know, hitting at the root of the, the problem. Uh, that is, it's infiltration. Yes. He's talked about the church has been infiltrated, superimposed. A deep church has superimposed itself upon uh, the the true the true church, just like this deep state has superimposed itself on the um, instruments of government. Yes. So, as a very brief sort of by way of example to what, what he's talking about. Um, mm -hmm. There's been an emerging story really over the past few weeks, but LifeSite News on March 8th did a really good story on it. March called, 8th was a big day, lots big of day, news. Yes. <laughs> did the Biden family help Chinese spies infiltrate the US government? Again, you can find it on LifeSite News, March 8th, uh, 2021 uh, by Raymond Wolf. I'll and what the link in the show notes, yeah. What they're really doing is going through, again, you've probably heard, this laptop that belonged to Hunter Biden, the son of uh, Joe Biden, that was abandoned in a, uh, 
repair store and the repair right. person turned you know turned it over after a period of time when under the contract it says if you don't ever claim your property we turn it over to authorities uh and uh you know many different people have have received be before doing so he made copies yes. of the, the entire hard drive because after reviewing its contents he realized this is really explosive and very um very incriminating uh, information and images yes. and videos, just really disgusting things. Yes. Again, exactly what Vigano is talking about, both intellectual and uh, moral perversion, right? Again, and Vigano's, financial scandal. And financial yeah. scandal. So a gentleman named Jack Maxey, who maybe uh, people know, used to be co-host of, of the Steve Bannon War Room. Uh, he has kind of taken this on as a, as a project to get this information out. Uh, right. So he's been publishing on Twitter, uh, emails from the hard drive he's made available the whole hard drive minus the morally reprehensible pornographic photographs and videos right. so you don't he's very clear you don't have to worry about something going to pop up on your screen if you look at this he's they, right. they're not there but the the emails and texts um and has been making them known and uh recently uh did a, a video uh not video interview uh on the contents of the laptop and why it matters yes. to every american on the eric Metaxas uh, radio show. Um, yes. and, and again, what's really important, we'll summarize, is some of these emails that are quoted and shown in the LifeSite News article show that essentially you know, what was going on is Hunter Biden was using his financial business interests in an investment firm that he had jointly with the Chinese uh, communists uh, to grant access to and to embed in Washington D.C. kind of agents of the Communist Chinese uh, Chinese Communist Party, and yes. you know when a, a quote communications director was hired who had to be of Chinese descent, then they're sent over to Beijing for training. Uh, communications training, and as it says, right. this is not in how to use social media or email. This is in Communist Party. Uh, propaganda right. how, uh, to so that, how to communicate covertly between the yes. party and and the biden yeah and then how what the money the bidens were receiving was to give them access to at the time his president his father vice president biden and other administrative high-ranking administration officials and again we know from the leaked uh list that came out we reported on that Australia Sky News reported on that there are you know millions of Chinese sleeper agents embedded in government places with relationships. We know about uh, the the one spy was clearly identified who had romantic attachments to high-ranking congressmen on the Foreign Intelligence Committee. Uh, and again, these emails reveal how all that access uh, was granted through shady financial deals with the Biden family. So this is what, by way of example, Archbishop Vigano is telling us, happened in the church and in the state. So the exact same kinds of things have been going on. And that is yeah. how he explains the takeover of the church and, and state. I think it's very interesting that the nexus of all of this connection between the deep state and the deep church is clearly communist China. Yes. And a prime yes. example of that is Uncle Ted McCarrick, yes. who, as we now know, is one of the primary architects of the, the, the secret China-Vatican deal that essentially sells out and condemns the true Catholics in China to persecution and ultimately martyrdom. Yes. And interestingly, I was doing a little research on this uh, last night in preparation for the show. None other than Theodore McCarrick, was, he wasn't the presider at the funeral of Bo Biden, the older brother of uh, Hunter, but he was present at that funeral and gave, I think, like the final benediction or something in, back in 2015. And we know that uh, 
Theodore McCarrick was very friendly, uh, especially with the, the Obama administration. He was actually sent as an emissary around the world on behalf of the United States government. So clearly this, this nexus of um, deep state, deep church, very much uh, involved communist China and some very, very bad actors as we're coming to learn now. Yes, and again, as, as Archbishop Vigado has told us in a prior uh, interview, right, that Jorge Bergoglio is uh, as subservient to the, quote, Chinese communist, the economic and political interests of Beijing, as is Jorge Mario Bergoglio. So again, as Matt is right. saying, that's the common, uh, again, we know there's someone else behind that, but on the, na on the, the sort of level of history, that is the invisible enemy that he speaks about, the uh, that is behind both fronts of this this attack. Yes, there's a great quote. I was just going to look up real quick. Um, we published this at the beginning of this year. Uh, Archbishop Vigano granted an interview to Steve Bannon. Speaking of Steve Bannon's war room, uh, Mr. Maxey used to be a co-host on that show. And there's a great quote from um, Archbishop Vigano regarding, let's see if I can find it real quick here. Um, uh, Pope Francis and Joe Biden being equivalent to one another. Mm -hmm. Let me see here. Uh, he says, I know it's here somewhere. Bar it's essentially, he says like Bergoglio, Bi oh, here we go. Biden is the equivalent of Bergoglio. That's a, such a poignant yes. quote, the, the showing yes. the connection between the deep state and the deep church. Yes. So again, we commend to you to read the full interview of Archbishop Vigano, which goes into much more detail. And listen to, if you have time, the this interview where Mr. Maxey explains and all the things he's revealed by going through this hard drive from uh, the the laptop. Yes, as, as he refers to it, the hard drive from hell, <laughs> which is probably a very accurate terminology. Accurate. Yes. So again, we don't want to leave this, this, and again, Archbishop Vigano never leaves anyone with a, a note of despair. We, we need to, his three-point plan that he gave to the Catholic Identity Conference in his address there is to be aware, right? So we know what's going on, to denounce, denounce it, to say what we can in our circles, and to pray. And, and he says, we don't, we need to be very hopeful. Whatever, however this plays out in history, we know that Christ will ultimately prevail, that this is just, this too shall pass, and we don't need to be discouraged or lose hope. He always ends all of his interventions with a note of, of hope and a call to prayer, right? That's what, something yes. we can do. So as we uh, do, we'll in a moment uh, do that. We will pray, and as we've come customary now, uh, we will end with a prayer that was revealed to be a very powerful prayer against Marxists. And uh, our John Venari, our predecessor uh, at the paper here, had a great devotion uh, to spreading this prayer. So again, that is something we can do. We can pray uh, that God will put division in the Marxist enemies and scatter them when it is his providence decides it's time, right? And he knows yes. the right time for that. So, yes. so before we pray, though, if you have enjoyed this show, please, uh, in, in gratitude, distribute it, send a link around, send it to your contacts, share, share it, like the video, 
Uh, again, the more likes we get, that that attracts more people to pay attention and to it. Remember to subscribe to the channel as well. Subscribe to our channel on again either YouTube or Rumble. In case uh, you know, Mr. Maxi has now been removed from Twitter because he did this. So in case we are removed from YouTube, we have a backup channel in Rumble. Again, for now, you can watch it at either place. Same content, but uh, you know, uh, subscribe in either or both places so you get notified when there's new content. And as always, consider subscribing to our monthly uh, newspaper, where again we have so many stories to discuss. We can't yes. get to them in these videos. We do discuss uh, them in the paper. And also many of the stories that we discuss, we explore in more, more detail. So again, yes. for as little as $32 uh, a year, not a month, a year, you can get free electronic access to the paper. And for if you live in the United States, $42 a month, you can get the actual paper delivered to your, to your home, the physical paper. Yes. It's more if you live outside the United States due to mailing costs. But please look at our website for various ways to subscribe. Yes, so, which is catholicfamilynews.com. Yes. And uh, on that note, we will pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Eternal Father, I offer thee the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the instruments of his holy passion, that thou mayest put division in the camp of thy enemies. For, as thy beloved Son hath said, a kingdom divided against itself shall fall. St. Gregory the Great. Pray for us. St. Thomas Aquinas. Pray for us. Our Lady of Fatima. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Well, as the first half of Lent uh, draws to a close, we wish you a holy and, and fruitful season of Lent. Uh, may you be profiting from the crosses our Lord has decided to send you uh, this Lent, as he usually does in Lent. Uh, yes. may, may they be a blessing to you. Uh, may we embrace them as he, at the second station of the cross, you know, embraced them when he embraced his cross uh, as he received it. And yes. uh, remember, our, like with Senator Tricia Vigano, our note of joy. This Sunday's liturgy is tinged with joy. Uh, so remember that the hope of the resurrection uh, will be here soon. Yes. God bless you. God bless you.